My faith isn't your faith. My beliefs isn't your belief. I don't expect you to have that belief. I'm not going to encourage you to have that same belief. But if we don't believe in something bigger than what we are, we're on our own. And on the other side of faith, to me, faith isn't just believing in an entity bigger than us. We have to equally believe in ourselves. everyone, welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Danette Hegg, who shares her experience living through and living with a severe burn injury from a house explosion as a child. A registered nurse, trauma mentor, and speaker, Danette shares how her experience has helped her redefine beauty by bringing purpose to the pain. So instead of being limited by the scars in our lives, we can be empowered by them. And now, my conversation with Danette Haig. Well, Danette, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I, first of all, I actually shared with you before we started recording here that this is what I'm considering community good 2.0. So we're going to get into, I'm thinking it could be some heavy stuff. It could be some funny stuff. It could be stuff that like no one's, you know, even expected as part of this. I'm just glad that you're happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to be here too. And just real life. Let's do it. Right. I love it. Real life. Okay. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on. So for those of you who do not know Danette, I, I, I actually, I think the way I'm going to say this is that you and I at least knew of each other starting in 2019 yes. because that was the first year that you competed for Mrs. Colorado. Yep. Then you decided to come back in 2020. You were a semifinalist, semifinalist. Yes, I was. Yep. And then you came back again in 2021, and not only did you win Best in Swimsuit, but that was the year that you won the title of Mrs. Colorado. Miracles happen. (laughs) I think that's what we all think when we finally win the crown. (laughs) But your your journey to Mrs. Colorado was not typical. No. No, I don't think it was. And it was a long time coming when I was a little girl. I was severely injured in a house explosion. So we were having a 4-H meeting at our house. So there's 27 people in our house at the time. And my dad was down in the basement working on the furnace. All of us girls, um, or most of us girls, were in the kitchen. So 4-H, you know, everybody no, knows what 4-H, know 4-H, 4-H is. I was in 4-H. 4-H is good stuff. Yeah. And we were learning how to um, make cinnamon rolls. So that smell baking cinnamon. It's all we could smell. So we were waiting to taste the cinnamon rolls and just laughing and having fun. And um, there had been an odorless gas leak from our furnace. My dad was standing down in there. He didn't even smell it. So the company did not put the odor in. And um, my mom went on, went to turn the turn the water on so the, to make coffee. And so the water heater ignited all those fumes. And this ball of flame erupted. And just whoosh, and it sounded like it sounded like a um, like a freight train, really coming from our basement. And then the next instant, it hit us. So my dad and my brother and I were the worst of all twenty-seven as far as our injuries. I was sitting right next to the basement step, and you know, it's one of those fate things. Like why I was sitting where I was sitting in that moment. I could have went to the bathroom. I could have went upstairs to my bedroom for a second. I could have been in the living room. I could have been. 80 other different places, and the outcome would have been different. 
but I was there right next to the basement steps and my, um, it hit me, it hit me from behind and me and the girls that were sitting close to the basement steps got the worst. Um, but my dad and my brother and I, um, almost died. I was burned to 70% of my body. That's seven zero. Those third degree burns that those scars last forever. I, when I first heard of your story, um, I, in the pageant world, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it was, well, how it do you was put this together. It, you know what? I don't know that I was so shocked that you were necess- that I was hearing it through the pageant world. I think it was more of what hit me most was of where you grew up, the way that you grew up. I was, I was thinking to myself and I've seen pictures of the house because, you know, of course there's been. Yeah. Numerous articles written about you. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, I grew up in that little farmhouse that had uh-huh. like one bathroom and two stories and it had been around forever. And I was thinking to myself, yeah. oh, my God, that could have been my family. And we, we were on a pig farm about 15 miles away from town. And this was before cell phones, of course. It was even before 911. And so there's middle of nowhere, Iowa. um, and no phones to call for help. So my dad um, is one of the most amazing humans on earth. He would be the first to deny that, that humble farmer in him. But he went back in the house um, about six times to make sure everybody was out and um, refused treatment till everybody was treated. And, and, you know, miracles happen along the way. And I think these are the things that keep me focused on the good instead of the destruction. Because when I look back, it happened at the end of the meeting. So there were parents in their cars waiting for their daughters to be done. So we had drivers and we had makeshift. I was in a vambulance, if you will, Mm because it was a van and we piled them in and went to two separate little teeny hospitals to the ERs. And um, somebody had their wits about them to make all that happen. But if it would have happened 30 minutes earlier, I may not be here because I needed to get to the hospital. Right. Right. So those little miracles are like, wow, what if, what if it would have been different? What if, and you Mm -hmm. just don't ask what if, and you say, thank God. Right. (laughs) Thank God it was the way it was. Right. So you're, I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm trying to think about your dad because I'm thinking he's trying to. He was in his early forties. And when I hit my, hit that same age, I'm like, how? I'm not equipped to handle something like that. How did you do it? Right. Because it wasn't just our family, his kids. It was a community of this rural community affected. And um, thank God it was a rural community because we had hearts and hands available to help my brothers run the farm. Um, My other sister who had minor injuries was in a different hospital than us. So my aunt took care of her like everybody just rallied and Mm -hmm. and for months and months and months and months to get us through all of that but so you know when you hear a story like that you if if you just listen to this part of the story and then you fast forward to how we even started this which is you became mrs colorado right you miss so much of what your journey was then Mm. once you finally get out of the hospital right I mean, just from getting back to healthy physically to right. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'd like you to talk more about like the mental piece of it, too. Oh, man, that was a big. So 
I was in the hospital for about three months. I was on a vent. I was in a coma. I wasn't supposed to live. I barely survived. Um, surgeries uh, over the next 10 years, I had almost 30 surgeries um, where they took skin from my, my good skin and put it over the injured area, which just adds more pain and more scars. So my life was filled with pain of all kinds. Um, my family was broken. You know, we weren't equipped. My parents weren't equipped to know how to talk about stuff, if to talk about stuff. Is it going to make it worse? Is it going to make it better? So I followed my dad's lead, which was not to talk about it. Every year we went to um, Happy Joe's, which was our local pizza joint. On May 11th, every year we went there, and we all knew why. But we didn't talk about why. Okay. We didn't talk about the date. We just talked about, we just like, we're going for pizza. I'm like, of course we are, because it's May 11th. And <laughs> he didn't know how to talk about it. And he struggled with that. I watched him um, worried many nights when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, that my daddy wouldn't come home because I thought he was going to commit suicide. Hmm. But we still weren't equipped and we were supposed to be strong enough. And dad just went out and, worked on the farm and you know you grab a shovel and you pitch some hog shit and things are supposed to be better right. <laughs> right. Right. and and they are for the moment and so I learned how to get through the moments from my parents but I did not learn how to rise above it all that took time that took self-love I had to find that that took me figuring out what my gifts were, what my purpose was, what I could offer this world. Because what the world told me is that I was ugly and scarred and broken. Something was wrong with me. Because growing up, all I saw on TV was the scary monsters had scars. The bad guys, the evil characters all had scars. Never a leading lady, never a beauty queen, mm -hmm. ever. And so in my head growing up, it was always, but... I want to feel pretty, and I'm not a bad person. So I had to figure out how to fight what this world perception of scars was, and I had to rise above it. Right. Man, it was hard. Well, it took I, lots of work. Right. I mean, even when you know you talk about your – like when you think about the, the small community and the community uh -huh. that sort of comes around you. So there's just so many things that I think back to where – Yes, when you're in a small community, you have that sort of layer of understanding because everybody has the story. They know if they were to see your family mm. come into an establishment, they know the story of what happened to you. What was the journey like when you're around people that don't know? Even around people that did know, it was still awkward. I felt like I was invisible. People didn't know what to say. And even though I knew on some levels I was um, accepted – it only takes one person to make you feel less than. Mm -hmm. um, and I had my bullies. I also bullied. I tried that. So that was one lesson I learned along the way is that when we have pain, we want to get rid of it somehow. And I tried that. And actually, I just had this um, on my podcast. I just told the story of how I had this closure to the woman, now woman, and she said, do you remember bullying me? And I said, yes, I do. And I'm sorry. And we had this closure 40 years later because I – and she, even though she understood why I did it, it wasn't okay. But what I learned from that whole process was that when we are hurting, 
and we're not taking ownership for it, we're not processing and we're not working through it, we try and cover it up or get rid of it or all these coping tools, these numbing it with all kinds of things you can numb with, none of them work, mm-hmm. maybe for a moment, but not long term. Right. Right. One, you know, one of my guests um, before we talked about the importance of naming your feelings and mm-hmm. I've, you know, continue to talk about that on social media, too. I mean, I think this is a perfect example of that. If you don't really know what you're hurting from or you mm-hmm. take the time to dig into it. And I, again, I, I grew up similar in that fashion where it was like I, I, I like I'm sitting here thinking, like, what would have my family done? Would we have also just said we're not going to talk about it? We're just going to go in. Get back at it. it. Yeah, yeah, just it didn't happen. We're just going to keep moving forward. You know, we're not going to see, think like, woe is us, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. Um, but that is, I mean, you and I both know this. Um, you speak to huge audiences about this, that like you got to get to the heart of who you are. You've got to find that place and those things to love about yourself because they're there. Well, everybody has them. So in everything I do and talk about and speak about and write about and everything, it's scars or scars. And then it becomes this even playing field because we've all been hurt by something different, causing different scars. They look different. They might feel different. But the healing from each of them is the same. Right. It's it's very similar. The same you can – I have learned – I have healed from all the different types of scars my life has left me in the similar ways. Whether it's the loss of my mom or the loss of four, you know, I had four miscarriages. I had, um, I have a son with dyslexia and we have, we walk through a lot of stuff with that. So no matter what the pain is or the scar is, you heal from it very similar. And so that's something I learned through this process. The gift is, as I learned what works and what doesn't work. I stumbled for a very long time, which is the hardest part. But I think the lessons I learned are a lot more solid because I did stumble and had a hard time along the way. Um, I think it wasn't until I was in college that I kind of got away from my family. One thing that my parents did do that did right was never ever said, you can't do that because you're burned. My, I was in plays and musicals. I was a cheerleader. Um, We weren't allowed to check out a life. And um, I've mentored a lot of young women who have an injury similar to mine. And some of their biggest diagnoses are parents, <laughs> parenting mm-hmm. skills, parents that either hover too much or are too disconnected. Um, my mom was just like, yes, you can. Whether she believed it, she still had fear. She worried right. all the things, but she never said you can't. Mm-hmm. I told myself I can't at times. But she opened the doors to your, I'm the second youngest of seven kids. And so my older, like your older sisters did this. So you're going to do it too. Right. Okay. Good or bad. the siblings that paved the way. Part of that. Help me just keep walking through. Right. Keep, just get up and go again. Um, do it scared. Well, what you've talked about with scars, um, I mean, it's definitely resonated because I, you know, I think we all can personally like right now for everybody listening, it's like there's a, there's probably at least something um, that you're you're thinking about like right now, like that's a scar for me. That's something uh-huh. I had to work through. And 
one of the things I was, you know, I pulled up uh, an article that was written about you after you had won Mrs. Colorado. Mm -hmm. And you had been quoted as saying, I had this vision of me and all these women on stage in their gowns, and I saw their scars too. Mm -hmm. Because they may not have had physical scars, but they were there mm -hmm. due to something that they had have to had to work through. Fear, insecurity, illness. I think loss, I think the scars that we can hide are so much harder to heal from because we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to face the day looking in the mirror and seeing them all. They're there. You know they're there. But you don't have to tell everybody along the way about them because no one stares at them. No one um, rejects you because of them. But they often cause us to reject ourselves. Right. Because you know they're there. So I know you had physical scars. Yes. But, but what were the things? I mean, did you get through the physical aspect of it first and then it mm. came the other? or how, Like how did you work through all of that? Oh, it was parts and pieces along the way, all of it. So even – so being able to leave the hospital, we had to learn how to deal with people staring at us. It's been part of my life for 40-plus years now, every day. And – so we, my little brother who was eight, was burned too. And we would sit in the hospital lobby with my mom sitting next to us. And as people, like huge university hospitals, so hundreds of people every 30 minutes walk through there. And we would just have to sit there and somehow figure out a way to accept the fact that we were different. Torturous. I hope they don't do that today. Like, I think that was something they did then. And, um, but my little brother, who was only eight, was so brilliant and so wise beyond his years. And he turned to my older sister was sitting next to him. And he turned to Deanne and he said, you know what? It's okay. Because I would stare too. And we had these little pieces of realization and these pieces of acceptance along the way. My brain didn't want to look in a mirror. I didn't, I didn't want to accept it for a long time. I just wanted to pretend that I was me somewhere. And I think the desperation was to find me again. That was the longest journey. And I um, it was just really hard because I didn't want to be injured. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to have another surgery. I didn't want to be ugly. I didn't want to have fear. I had a boyfriend in fourth grade. And we even got married on the playground. My best, you know. <laughs> I had Debbie was the officiant. Like I could tell all the people that were present. And that was probably within six months before the fire. He didn't talk to me for 38 years. 38. <laughs> not one thing. And not against him. He was 10. Are you kidding me? Like that's a lot. And um, so I have no blame on him. But what that situation did was tell me that was my first lesson of rejection. Or the boy who had, you know, said, I love you forever on the playground. Very symbolic of the rejection that I felt throughout all of life. And um, and it began in stages. And then I'd find some strength. And my strength primarily came from my faith. And that was something that my parents taught me. But I was able to take it even deeper um, to have to feel God, you know, in those days when we weren't sitting in a pew together, 
to find God in just sitting in his presence. And that's evolved my whole life too. But without that faith, I, I wouldn't have wanted to leave the house. So what was your, so it's interesting because I've talked to, I've had another guest on here before where we've talked about spirituality for you. Mm -hmm. It's a God Yeah. for others. It may be the energy of the universe. It might be, what was it? What was the process of connecting in that way that, that, that helped you at least leave the house? Well, I felt like, so, and you know, I may sound completely wacky and so it's okay. Because I'm confident in these Be things. wacky. <laughs> I'm wacky. Be wacky, Danette. <laughs> so I was 10 and I actually had a God moment um, where God kind of like prophetically a week before told me we were going to have a fire. And it was very like, okay, we're going to have a fire. And my brother had a similar experience the night before. He was eight. I was 10. And then I heard God's voice guiding me out of the house guardian angel, God, you could call it Moses. I don't know where the voice was, but it wasn't me. And it was nobody else in the house with me because I was the last one to escape. Um, I heard, I had out-of-body experiences seeing myself in a coma and seeing myself in the tub where the nurses were um, scrubbing the horrible debris off me and scrubbing on my wounds. And I was not in my body. So I've had these experiences along the way that I, other people can deny them. They can say, oh, some medication or you were half asleep or what, whatever. But for me, they were so real mm-hmm. and undeniable. And I feel like that was the preparation, that reminder. I know this is hard, but I'm here. I know this is hard, but I'm here. When I was 13, 14, 13, Um, I was in middle school and had my bullies and didn't want to go to school. And I was on the, sitting in the back of my bus. I knew that was not an option. We were hard workers. We got back into life. We figured it out. We're not going to talk about it, but we're going to figure it out. And I was in the back of my bus and I was getting off the bus that took me to the elementary school. And then I got on a different bus to go to my other school and in between buses, Swear to God, Jesus was standing at the front of that bus. All I saw was Jesus and the bus driver, who I adored, was always kind to me. And that gave me strength. Right. And so for me, it's God, because I've seen Jesus. Right. (laughs) But I don't, that does not mean that's somebody else's story, that's my story. And that's why I believe so strongly in what I believe in. So when I was walking through my miscarriages or my mom was dying from a 13-year battle of Parkinson's, I called on Jesus. Because right. for me, it works. And for me, he's there and continues to remind me that he's there. Well, I believe it because it is your story. It mm-hmm. is what you saw. It's only you know those things. And right. I, I believe that as a human being. And other people have talked about seeing the light or they've talked about having this presence, knowing that there was something beyond themselves that was there to to help guide them in some way. And we'll never know until we know. Right. I'm not in any hurry to get that knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) I am good. Yeah. But I I think the important message for me when I share my story and how I've risen above it, um, that's a term my brother used to use, by the way, my older brother. 
he has his own walk with some um, battle with alcoholism. And when he was battling that and watching my brother and I in our teen years just kick ass at life as much as we could, he's like, I can't explain it, but you two just rise above it. Mm-hmm. So it sticks with me, um, the wisdom of my older brother. And um, faith is one of the things for me, but that doesn't, my faith isn't your faith. My beliefs isn't your belief. I don't expect you to have that belief. I'm not going to encourage you to have that same belief. But if we don't believe in something bigger than what we are, we're on our own. And on the other side of faith, to me, faith isn't just believing in an entity bigger than us. We have to equally believe in ourselves because in my situation, I know God can't do all the work for me. And I certainly have not been strong enough to face every day that I've had to face on my own. So when I believe in myself and believe that I'm enough and believe that I got this and see my value and understand that everything I go through has a purpose, and I believe that God has taken care of the things that I can't see and understand, then I feel so much stronger to do things like put myself in a beauty pageant. Right. (laughs) Or sit in a room on fire because part of my healing getting past fear was sitting in a room on fire, a control burn. I sat in a room on fire, like literally okay. sat in a room on fire. Okay. And at what, what age did you do that? was in my early 30s. Okay. But for 20 years, I lived under this debilitating fear that I was going to get burned again. Mm-hmm. I almost died the first time. So no thanks. Don't really want to do that again. But I started taking these little things because I I, even being around candles, like I didn't even want to be close to my birthday candles as a kid. I just want to be away from it all. But think of all the things that fire brings to our life. I mean, fireplace or a fire pit. That's like the best. Right. Or, you know, cooking on a on a grill. And I didn't want any anytime anybody tried to light something. With propane, I'm like, maybe that's why I became a runner. Like, I'm out. (laughs) I'm gone. Right. Um, And so I, but I hated feeling so like, so controlled by that. Mm -hmm. So I just started lighting candles on my house, sitting, forcing myself to sit next to them. Now I, now I use candles when I do my meditation. So I'm past that part. Right. And I made it into something good. And when I was single, it was probably in my early 30s, I bought myself a gas grill and I put it together all by myself without a man. Just want to throw that out there all by myself. And I started lighting it and cooking on it and lighting it. And it was terrifying at first. Like anytime we face a fear, Mm -hmm. it was terrifying, but I did it scared and now it doesn't bother me. Right. I don't have to run away anymore. And so it did. It just took these like baby steps to get past all the things that would debilitate me. And then I got to the point where like, so my brother, who I spoke about, who was eight at the time, has been a volunteer firefighter in our community. That same community the fire happened. He just retired after 25 years. Oh, that's incredible. Don't tell him he's that cool because we all have to live with him. Right? <laughs> gets big. But yeah, like he inspired me to mm-hmm. like, okay, if my brother can do that and do these trainings and, you know, buildings on fire and stuff. I talked to a friend of mine who is now a retired firefighter, but it was probably about 13 years ago, something like that. And I sat in a room on fire for 20 minutes. And the flames were like above me everywhere. It was so, the heat was intense. 
And I just, I, I invited, I call it, I invite God along. Like I can't be in this room without you. Mm-hmm. But I learned how to see the beauty in the fire. It danced above my head. I saw the color. Like I saw so much value in it. And I sat there with it. And I learned how to respect it more and not be afraid of it. It was so powerful. Well, that is powerful for anybody facing. Oh my gosh! Any fear, right? Like, yeah, I don't expect. You know, I'm not recommending go sit in a room on fire. No, but you've. But I had the firefighters there. Like I was uber safe, but I pushed myself. Yeah, it pushed myself to do it. You've got me thinking about. You know, I mean, all. Like again, you've you talk to audiences, you're mentoring, you're coaching. I mean, I've even been thinking of like clients that I've coached before too. Many times what we end up exploring, because you have to, to get to the place where if you want to make real change or you want to do those things, you have to face the things you're super scared of doing. Mm-hmm. Like what's the, you have to go to the, what's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. How do I actually tackle that so that I can finally move forward into what I want to be able to do? Otherwise it becomes this ceiling of your abilities. Right. Because you just can't, because you know in your head, even if I never told anybody else of my debilitating fear of fire, I knew in my head something in this world was stopping me. So then that doubt creeps in in so many different ways. So it wasn't just moments of fire. It was like, I am not strong enough to be able to be in front of a fireplace with peace. So how can I be strong enough to tackle this big life goal? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you talk to audiences. I, I mean, I was thinking about I, – I pulled this from your website too, but you talk about being flawless or mm-hmm. walking with courage. And mm-hmm. in particular, which you already mentioned a little bit, you talk about I am enough. And I think everything that you've been sharing so far is just sort of like the journey to get to a place where you can actually say that to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I struggle with that. I struggle with mm-hmm. – Am I doing enough? Is that good enough to even put it out there? Like, how do you walk me through that? Oh, man. Well, the one thing I've had to learn that I think has been most valuable, and I've gotten more and more creative with it over time, is flipping your script. Catching yourself when you're saying those negative things. Because who's your biggest bully? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's you. Right. It's... It's that it's that chick in your head, <laughs> right. that person in your head that needs to you kick to the curb. The thing is, is only only we have control over that. Because my mom told me every day I was beautiful. But if I wasn't telling myself the same message, hers is just fluff. So if we can't learn how to flip our own script, stop the madness. And figure out how really are, am I describing myself? What words do I use? And when those net negativity comes up, flip your damn script. Mm -hmm. So an example that I use a lot in my speaking is, like I said, I've been stared at every day for 42 years now. Almost 42. Every day. Every time I leave the house. In that weird, awkward way. And um, like people would people would hide behind a corner and like just peek around. And like I try and hide behind a tree. Like, okay, you're making it more obvious. Like, <laughs> I've seen it all. And um, but when that happened, my head would always go to, oh, they think I'm nasty. 
They think I'm disgusting. They're going to start calling me names. Um, I'm just so gross and so different. And, and then, you know, just spirals on and on. And I'd want to just get out of there every day, like literally every day of my life. And then I got to the point where I'm like, okay, they're staring at me. They're not saying anything. I'm just assuming what's in their head. So I'm like, well, you know, I am having a really good hair day. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're staring at me. Doesn't happen very often, people. Um, or, you know, like this, this shirt I got on is new and they're wondering where I got it or mm -hmm. come up with something like that. And that worked. But then I took it to a whole different level where I started this whole flipping my script in a definition kind of way. And I started telling myself, ex describing my scars as God's masterpiece of artwork. So when you see a statue or a painting or some kind of fabulous artwork, super unique, you have to stop and stare at it, don't you? It stops you in your tracks. Right. I like the word admire better than stare. But you have to stop and admire it. Maybe learn something from it. Maybe grow in just a little bit of a way. Or maybe it makes you smile and you needed that in that moment. So I see my scars as God's masterpiece of artwork. It was created when I walked through fire as a child. And people are still learning from it today. Something they need, a message they need to receive. And when I stay centered, I stay joyous. Because usually it's at Walmart or the grocery store. And I'm just with my kids and doing my thing. And if I stay happy and just being me, that adds to the power of the message because and I've gotten people's um, responses in, a, in remarkable ways, too. Like, just seeing, how is she so happy, covered in scars? What's my problem? Mm. And it becomes like this opportunity for them to explore themselves. Why can't I? You know, this, this gazing of admiration, or whatever you want to call it. But once I started flipping my script in little and big ways... It doesn't bother me anymore. I don't even see it, actually. My husband is like, I still want to glare them down. And I'm like, it's fine. We're fine. Right. <laughs> but that's, it's all in how we talk to ourselves. What do we speak about? It's either going to make you stand taller or it's going to make you want to run away and hide, which, what's your outcome? Mm -hmm. well, I think, I mean, I, I, it's interesting how you're even navigating the if someone was staring at you and to flip the script of what they were looking at because I I mean there's so many ways that people can use this which is you know instead of worrying about if you're going to say the right things or yeah. if I'm talking to a group of people what if I can't answer the questions it's like flip the script of yeah you know well say the things you'd like to say and maybe they're going to ask incredible questions for you to be able to answer or oh that's right I'm human I right. can't always say the perfect thing yeah. and that's okay. And sometimes those opportunities are just an opportunity to be that. I'm genuinely human. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry if I didn't do it properly, but thanks for the opportunity or whatever it is. It's just constantly learning how to see it in that way of gratitude, yeah. in that way of light. Well, the human piece of this, I think really for me, um, you know, last year, having the opportunity to get to know you even better because you were the title holder and we spent some time together the and holder. the official, she is still, Mrs. Colorado. You know, I still have that fear that 
our director is just going to come and rip it out of my, <laughs> oh, sorry, right. there was a mistake. Like I didn't answer the door for two weeks just in case she came to the door right. and said, nope, sorry, we made a mistake. I think everybody's <laughs> like, is it that that really happened that really to all happened? of us? I'm sure that, but I, um, you know, you and I were having a conversation actually, this is where I saw, um, and it, this is where I felt like it was the turning point for us really connecting because I remember having this conversation with you and it was like, I already knew you had sort of a similar background, how we grew up, you know, mm -hmm. where we grew up, that kind of stuff. But we were at a luncheon together last year. We were actually at the Mrs. Colorado luncheon last year and we were, you know, sharing some stories and we were doing these in round tables. Um, well, that was all inspired by you, by the way. Well, and your brilliance. Well, Can I just throw that out there? That's very nice yes, of you. Well, Thank true. you. I mean, it's, it's very true. <laughs> I love doing that stuff. But, and it was a <laughs> conversation for people to say, you know, to ask, ask themselves, what should they say yes to? Uh -huh. You know, all these great stories came about it, but it wasn't until after I had already driven home. No, it was actually on my drive home. Because I tried to get, because I was like calling you and I was like, oh my God, Annette's going to think I'm like her psycho stalker now. <laughs> no, it's like, Marty's <laughs> calling me. But I made it. <laughs> I, I'm in the car driving away and it hits me of something that I said sharing my story. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a few other things that come up that I hear people say all the time, or it's a lot of times I hear it in work settings. So people that, you know, have been in you know, an office setting or whatnot, or mm -hmm. maybe you hear your family say stuff like this, but I pulled some other ones because there's been articles written numerous times about all these things that we've got to stop saying because they're just more, mostly because they're annoying, but I want us to talk about it in a but different way. But they're the things way. we don't always know we're saying because oh, right. it just comes so flippantly. Yeah. yeah. They're these like, weird analogies. So mm -hmm. sayings, like, sayings like, let's talk about the elephant in the room or um, get thrown under the bus drinking from a fire hose. Mm -hmm. And the comment that I had mentioned in some way, shape or form was that everybody was on fire. Running out of the room like your hair's on fire. Yes. Yes. Not that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was talking about this situation mm -hmm. where people at work were just like, everything's so busy. And, blah, blah, blah. and that just, that was a term that anybody threw around. And sure. I just remember calling you and I was like, and I remember saying it, in this way, which I was like, I'm not calling you because I want you to make me feel better about myself. Let me just state that from the beginning. I want you to know that it wasn't until actually meeting you that did that even occur to me that that and so many other ridiculous mm -hmm. things we say don't need to be said. Just say the thing the way it needs to be. Just say what's actually yeah. happening versus this analogy that you feel so compelled to share. Well, and I want to say I wasn't offended. I wasn't taken aback, but I did hear it. And what it did in my trauma brain was remind me of me running out of our house on fire. I was right. on fire for quite a while before I figured that out. And and it did it triggers it. Now, for me, I have control like I'm to a place where I move past it quickly and it was really no big deal, but it does like do something to your brain if you have an experience like that. Just like if I would have gotten run over by a bus, it would have triggered the same thing, you know, those kind of. Right. And we don't think about it because it's so. Like, another example is um, back in the day, we grew up saying things like uh, if someone says something and it's kind of dumb. You go, oh, that's retarded. We throw that word around. And wow. Now I have a friend who's, whose son now died, but he was mentally disabled. And after meeting her and loving him and, and even as a nurse and I took care of kids, it was like every time, like, why do I do that? 
Why is mm-hmm. that okay? Why do we think that's okay? Um, it just can be something that can be a trigger. Now, I also don't want people to be so hypervigilant that they have to watch their tongues and feel like they're being offensive. But I think it's really important to to know that it could be and you could trigger someone. Right. Well, and I get that point of too. And I, that's what I appreciated so much when you and I were on the phone having yeah. that conversation. Because I mean, my first immediate reaction was, I am such an asshole. Oh my God. I cannot believe I just did that. <laughs> that's the bully in your head, by the way. <laughs> no. Kick it to the Flip the script. Flip but the script. <laughs> I, but... But I really think that this is an important part that people need to hear because Mm -hmm. maybe this is a flip the script situation too. Does it add value? I mean, does Mm -hmm. it really add value if you say it like that versus if you just said people are so busy, they can't even control the amount of work that they have to do. And we feel like we're out of control in this office. That go. That's what it is, right? (laughs) So I I just – like I said, it was, it shouldn't take me knowing you to have finally been hit with it. That that's that was some work that I had to do. I was like, it shouldn't have taken that. But I am grateful that it did because sure. now I, I, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. To your point, like, even with me knowing that, I, I don't always have the ability to, to say the perfect gonna, things, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Cool, because you're human. I didn't know that till today, but you are human. I wasn't aware. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes you think, and that's what I want people, as people are listening to us, there's something you probably say mm -hmm. that is, it's some cover up to something that you could just say it like it is. Mm -hmm. That would be great if everybody could start doing some of that. And just to be aware of what could happen, because even though my scars are more obvious than most people's, there's... More audiences, um, people in more audiences, every audiences I've been in or spoken to have had people come up and go, oh, I have this really bad injury. I have an experience with a burn injury. I had an injury. I had an injury. And they cover it up. So a lot of times I would say the majority of people with a story similar to mine have their injury is hideable. Like you, they're going to cover it up. I tried that tactic for a long time, is tried to cover everything up as much as I could um, to avoid that fear of being made fun of or that fear of the comments or just the vulnerability of showing your scars. And more people um, are covering up. So when you say comments like that, it's going to be affecting people in an audience that you have no idea and probably will never have an idea right. of of who, who are the ones that are going to take that and they're going to be triggered by it. Right. So, well, thank you for, first of all, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for oh, us having absolutely. that moment um, and even just talking about it here. I, 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 it, this just hit me and I didn't even plan on asking this, but I'd love to go to this space, especially um, I, uh, I just turned 48 this year and you're 50. I'll be 52 this month. 52. And it wasn't because I'm trying to call out everybody's ages, but we're at this age where I wanted to get your perspective on this because I'm to the point where I'm like, so what needs to get fixed on my face and everything is nothing. doing all these things, the right? I, I know, but do you, how do you, like, I wonder, like, what is your response to that when you're like, why is anybody talking about whether they have wrinkles or something sagging when I've had to deal with this since such a young age? But 
I'm a woman too, and I don't want myself to change either. And I see those aging things too. I think what it is, no matter what your insecurity is, because those are just signs of insecurity Mm -hmm. or fear of getting older or whatever the basis of it, you are looking at yourself and seeing things that aren't enough. Right. Um, It's find a way to love them. Find a way to love them. And if you need to do some correction or do get fillers or whatever, that's fine. Just don't make that your way you're going to love yourself. Don't make that I have to have my lips a certain size or I am just nothing. Right. Find a way to love it. Like when you're looking at um, – it's just a sign of wisdom, you know, um, when people – when I t- speak to audiences, my flawless program, and it's for teens, women – or teen girls to – I've spoken to women that are 100 years old, this program – Everything in between. And I just say, you know, when you rather wear a hat or your hair isn't quite where it's just your wisdom showing. It's fine. People <laughs> know then that you've got some life wisdom. So it all depends on how you look at it. Yeah. And and I understand we have this world we're trying to fit into and and um, there's ageism that happens in lots of different facets of the professional world. But if you can say, but that's just man, I've been I've I'm a mom. My body has been through so much. I have four kids and I have four babies in heaven. My body has been through hell and back. Mm. And when I went to compete, I got in my head because you have to be in a swimsuit, which I won best in swimsuit. Yeah, I was going to say like, with my, okay, you're going to take us there. I couldn't even win with heels, best in swimsuit. <laughs> in six inch heels with my scars showing and I'm a mom of four right. and I was 50. I just turned God. 50. So miracles can happen. I'm telling you, they can, but it's not because, and so that's just an example. I didn't win best in swimsuit because I was the most fittest on stage. Hello. We know Corey Francis. (laughs) She was my runner up and she's badass. She's amazing. It wasn't because I was the skinniest or because I was the most fit or had the most perfect body. It was because I loved myself enough to stand tall enough on that stage with all of my scars showing to feel the most beautiful. And that's really all it takes and no matter what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's it's and my reason for this following this calling to even do this pageant, I wanted to be Miss America when I was 10, 8, 7, 6. Like I always wanted to be Miss America and I dressed up like her all the time and you know, but at farm resources, I had a toilet paper sack <laughs> and a tin foil crown and I felt amazing. That dream broke. A couple of years later when I was watching the the pageant on TV and that dream just rose up. You know, we're meant to do something. It's there. And even though it was a couple of years or so after my injury, I was like, oh, I want that. I want to wear the gown and I want to be in that whole fanfare. I want to be on that stage. And then I looked at all my scars and I said, well, that's never going to happen for me. Because none of the women I saw on that show ever had even a zit. Like, let's be real. They had nothing except gorgeousness. And so that's when that dream broke. But then after all these years of learning how to flip my script, strengthening my um, my inner faith in myself and strengthening my faith in God and trying to be grateful and find gratitude in even the darkest of places are the tools that got me to where I could follow this calling. Mm-hmm. And that vision that you spoke about earlier was, you know, I looked around and I saw all their scars too. Oh, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. But 
I had to get to this place of loving myself, seeing my value. Now, this isn't loving yourself in a way that comes off arrogant. It's with humility and grace. It, I mean, it's, it's a recipe. It's not just one thing. But you practice it every day by flipping your script. And that's how I made that little girl's broken dream come true all those years later. 40 years almost to the month. I well this the, I love the story of it and how you were able to do it because I remember um I remember when you when you competed one of the years I came back to judge um so I think that was maybe the first time I would have seen you mm-hmm. um in that close and even have be able to hear from you because yeah. otherwise the you know the other years it would have been I would have seen you on stage that's sure. the only time I really get to know you yeah. um and I kept thinking to myself, I'm not sure if someone will see the value of someone like mm-hmm. Danette competing. And I was so glad that those five judges did because yeah. I think where you've taken this and, and the kinds of insights and what you see is that you you embody why women even compete. Because I still will get that question of like, well, why, do, why does anybody mm-hmm. even do that? And I'm like, you know, unless you come to this, unless you experience it, unless yeah. you've been in this um, experience, this program at Mrs. Colorado, I, you know, you really should just take it for our word, take our word for it, what we experience, but don't judge it from the outside. Right. Because women come here for all different reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 came after working through the scars that you had. Mm-hmm. I I similarly watched Miss America mm-hmm. on because we had three channels growing uh-huh. up. So we certainly I was oh God. See I Iowa just trumped Nebraska. I'm not won. sure. You already won. Well we, we did have four, I think by high school maybe I had CBS <laughs> finally. But I remember watching, you know, Miss America as well with my uh, yeah. our whole family at the time because right. that was the reality TV that yeah. was even near us. But and I, you know, kept thinking about the same thing. So when I went to compete, it was because I wanted to actually find myself again. I felt like I was so far removed of who I was. And for me to come compete at Mrs. Colorado, yes, did I want to win? But it was more important than I was like, I need to feel like myself again. And so somebody has that, right? Everybody has that story. Oh my gosh. Part of of the process of being a parent and being a spouse and then you just melding this family together, you do lose yourself. And I think that's extremely common. And there's lots of ways to get there, but whatever your dream is, just go get it because I eventually got to compete on the Mrs. America stage so I mm-hmm. made it there on that stage um, as a little my dream was maybe a little redefined but in some ways even so much better but I had to do the work to get there and I also it took me three years to get the title and which I feel like is still a miracle but I had to also learn about this whole pageant sport and because it's a whole different game. So I took all the things that I learned about just my life and who I am and loving myself and then added it to um, getting coaching in that sport of pageantry and put it all together and right. clearly in the right time and in the right package. But um, I, my advice is just whatever your dream is, doesn't matter, man, woman, whatever, like whatever your dream has been, just feed it in some way. And go for it. And you're going to learn something about yourself. No matter the outcome, you're going to learn something about yourself that's going to be valuable. Well, I I cannot thank you enough for, I mean, just even spending the time and taking it into a place. And we talked about some things we really wanted to get into today. But before you get a chance to, to share with the audience, because I know people are going to want to follow you. They're going to want to connect with you. They're going to want you to come speak to their group. Um, I'd love you 
to share a life lesson mm. with the audience that um, has has impacted you in some way? There are so many stories. And I was going to share about my kids, but I'm going to share a story about my mom. She had a 13-year battle with Parkinson's. So it took her mobility, and then it took her mind, and then it took her life. So for three years or so, two and a half, three years, she lived very deep in dementia and had to then live in a nursing home because my dad could no longer take care of her. So she forgot who I was for the most part. She would have moments of lucidity and she would talk about current events. And I'm like, well, hey, mom, where you been? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I, um, I remember one night I walked into a room because she was in Iowa and I live here in Colorado and I was there visiting and I was getting ready to leave and head back after a week um, there. And she was in her bed and it was um, about seven at night and she was messing with her sheets. Now, my mom, like every good farm wife, is an amazing baker, amazing, always could makes anything out of tater tots and ketchup. I swear <laughs> to God. And so she's making something and she just looks over at me, has no clue who I was and said, well, are you going to stay for dinner? And I said, well, sure, mom, what do we have in? She's like, oh, I'm just making a ham. And she's like <laughs> making a ham with her sheets. It was, and I sat there and cried at my mom's bed, just bald. This dementia thing is so hard. And I came back here and went on a run. Now running for me, I've been a competitive runner for 25 years and keeps me sane. Um, it's my God time. And in all of that sadness I had about my mom's illness and how it had stole my mom from me, I had this epiphany about what dementia is. See, some people die immediately, instantly. And some people have this gift of dementia. Now, everybody's going to think I'm crazy when I call it a gift, but here's why. My mom was deathly afraid of dying. The unknowns of it. She's a very biblical woman, loved going to church, you know, godly woman, but was so scared of death because of the unknowns. I believe that in mom's moments of dementia, her body was just living in her memories while she was dancing with Jesus. That when people are so deep in dementia, they actually have this ability to be in this different dimension or whatever you want to call it, have a foot in heaven to get an idea, to get welcome, to get an introduction of what's to come to help them find peace. And so the next time I went to visit my mom, there was only a couple more times before she passed. And as she was living in her moment of not having a hot clue who her daughter was, I kissed her on the cheek and I said, it's okay, mom, have fun dancing with Jesus. Tell him I said hi. Another for me, that was a, a, an ability to find some joy in this really long, dark walk we took as a family. Another way to flip my script, to say, how can this be a gift? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I believe in my, all my experiences, I believe that heaven's closer than we think it is. And our abilities um, to connect can happen a lot more often than we have any idea. And my mom was able to tap into that. And she taught me that. That was something that I just, I could take a breath in this deep, dark illness and find some joy. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you had the opportunity to spend some of that time too, even when your mom did have an opportunity to remember you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and those little moments. But she'd make me a ham and cinnamon rolls or whatever else I wanted in that room. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I know people are going to want to follow you. They're going to want to get in touch, read more about your story. So where can people find you? Well, my website is beautyfromashesspeaker.com, and all the stuff is on there. But on Instagram and on Facebook, I am beautyfromashes2021. Um, I have a podcast called Listen Soul Sister on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts. And I have all my speaking stuff on my website. So I would love to connect. Great. Thank you again so much for taking oh, time to spend with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 